We're going to be in at 382, standing on the promises. Could everybody stand? Father, I pray you'll be pleased with everything that is said and done. I pray you'll lead and guide. 
throughout the day and that you will accomplish your perfect will uh, in what is done today. Father, we just love you. We thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for sending him to die on the cross for our sins that we might know you as our personal saviors and one day spend eternity with you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help us to understand that, help us to comprehend it, help us to truly be thankful for what you've done for us. Father, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The next number is 362, Christ Arose. for that you know I just kept thinking while we were singing that song that is what differentiates Christianity from every other false religion in the world <laughs> Buddha's in the grave uh, Joseph Smith's in the grave Muhammad's in the grave but Jesus Christ 
is alive and well. And he is sitting on the right hand of the throne of the Father. One day he's going to come back. Uh, you know, I, I might have said this already. Forgive me if you've heard it before. But I saw a t-shirt the other day and I liked it. I might, I might end up with one. But it said, normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. And uh, I like that because it's true. Jesus is coming back. And we, we focus so much on things getting back to what they used to be or things getting to be where we're comfortable again. But, you know, comfort's not always a good thing. Uh, we need to stay uncomfortable sometimes so that we focus on being what God wants us to be. We don't get complacent. We don't become calloused. Uh, but I'm thankful. Thankful he's alive. I'm thankful that uh, death could not hold him. <laughs> Man, I guess this is going to be me for a little bit. But All right, Usher, come on down. <laughs> Can you pray for the offering, bud? Yes, sir. God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Please help us to have a wonderful Sunday today, Lord. Please touch our hearts through the message, Lord, and please bless the offering. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll be um, at three. We'll be 385 today. Number 385. The Bible stands. Forever when the world has passed away 
hills may tumble, it will burn. Please stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the Bible stands. The Bible stands every test we give it for its author is divine. By grace alone I expect to live it and to prove it and make it mine. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the Bible stands. How quickly can I get away from this pulpit? <laughs> get back to the where I can hide back there. <laughs> Thank you, bud. Uh, all right, we'll see how well our voices hold up today. We've spent the last several days under the tent out at Self Liberty during family camp, which was a blessing. It was it was really tremendous, um, but that adjusting back and forth between the warmth and the cool uh, weather kind of wreaks havoc on your, on your voice. So, but it was, a, it was a tremendous family camp this year, I will say that. Uh, the preacher, uh, I'll carefully say, was probably one of my favorite family camps as far as the messages and the preaching goes. Um, I say that because I have a lot of friends who have preached family camp in the years past, so I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, just the Bible preaching, some of the most biblical preaching I've ever heard in my entire life, maybe the most biblical preaching I've ever heard, and it challenged me, and I just, man, I was just, uh, kind of didn't want it to end. <laughs> it was really, really good. So I would encourage everyone, I don't know if the preachers coming back, although I will say on the comment card at the end, that was one of the things I said that would help for next year is to bring the same preacher back, but we'll see if they do or not. But uh, uh, I know it doesn't always work out. Folks have things going on, busy lives, work, weddings, things like that going on that kind of take us away, uh, sickness or whatever it might be, but I would encourage you if you can come in the, pa in the past, in the future rather, it is a blessing. And uh, was a lot of fun and just got so much out of especially the preaching I mean there was a lot of things that were a blessing just being with friends and and some Christian brothers and sisters and other families and fellowshipping with some of my pastor friends and their families although we see each other and we get to say hi we don't always get to talk a lot because we're all running different directions trying to do things but uh, but it is such a tremendous blessing so anyways and I told the preacher, I said, probably not next year because we have some stuff already planned, but maybe the year after we can get him to come up from Georgia and preach in our church here, do a meeting for us. I think it'd be really good. So, all right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians 3. I planned on being in Ephesians this morning, but... The Lord had other plans, and we'll just make the most of what God has for us. Well, 
I guess if we do what he has for us, it is the most we're going to get anyway. So prayerfully he'll work this morning. But let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. We'll read the uh, first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. <clears throat> it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who, when is, uh, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth anything, uh, no, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. Thank you for your word, and Lord, I pray that you would help us as we consider this passage of Scripture. Pray that you'll help us, that you'll uh, challenge us, convict us, help us, Lord, to examine ourselves uh, against your word or, or reflecting on the perfect law of liberty, this mirror that we have before us, your word that shows us, that reflects back to us the things in our lives that we need to work on, the things we need to change. And Father, I pray that you would accomplish your perfect will today. I pray that you will uh, minister to our hearts, minister to our minds. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that we would leave changed, we'd leave different, because you have accomplished what you want to accomplish through your word in us. And Father, we pray that you would work. We ask these things and pray them all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so at the end of chapter 2, the previous chapter, the Bible is giving us two different things, and then chapter 3, it kind of compares these two here. Uh, but in the end of chapter 2, just for reference sake and to kind of set the context, uh, let me see, I think I put in here what verses I was going to read, but I didn't. So we'll start in verse 11. It says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so, the thing, this is chapter 2, just so you know, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So what that verse is telling us is that as a man, or a woman, as a human being, we understand the things that entail being a human being, living life as a human being. But we can't understand the things of God because the Spirit of God understands them, but the Spirit of man does it. So it's, it's contrasting, comparing and contrasting these two, the Spirit of man and the Spirit of God, as it goes down. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, those who have been saved, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual 
I'm not going to take the time to get into that. Verse 14, but the natural man, here is the, diff, the comparison. We were talking about the spirit and the spiritual man. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ is the word of God. We have it. We understand it by the Spirit of God that indwells everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The natural man understandeth not the things of God because he doesn't have the Spirit of God indwelling him to interpret it and help him to understand it. So there's limited understanding that can be had by the natural man. So the natural man is someone who has not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The spiritual man is someone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those two were compared at the end of chapter 2. Now in chapter 3, it's talking about the uh, spiritual versus the carnal. So there's a transition. Now it's talking, comparing these two. So that's what we're going to look at today, is comparing the spiritual and the carnal. The, the spiritual is one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Uh, we saw the difference of the natural and the spiritual before. Now we're comparing natural and carnal. This morning, seeing these two, uh, the carnal is someone who's, who's concerned or most concerned with the pleasures of the flesh, with worldly lust, with fulfilling in their life and satisfying in their lives the things that their flesh desires and not worrying so much about what the spirit desires. I believe both are saved people, the natural man, ah, not the natural man, sorry, the spiritual man and the carnal man. There we go, we get it straight. Uh, I believe that it's dealing with people who are saved, who know the Lord as their Savior. It is speaking to the church at Corinth. And churches are made up of believers, right? Uh, so it's speaking to the church at Corinth, and it's contrasting these two now. So, uh, and honestly, we live in what we've referenced several times recently as the Laodicean age. It's that seventh church age that's outlined in Revelation in the first few chapters. Uh, the church age where the Bible refers to them as lukewarm. The age where uh, in Revelation 3, is it verse 10 or verse 20? Where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man... 20. If any man hear my voice, he'll and open the door, I will come in to him, will sup with him, and he with me. So that, that verse is often used for salvation, but it's a letter written to the church, who presumably, we would assume, are typically saved people. And God is knocking, Christ is knocking on the door of the church, saying, let me in. If you'll let me in, then I'll fellowship with you. But because the Laodicean church age is lukewarm, so many of the Christians in our day don't want Christ in their lives because they want to live the life they want to live on this earth. They want to fulfill their flesh. They want to fulfill their own desires. They don't want to yield themselves to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God, and do what He wants them to do. So we live in this age where it's, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and, and just decide for myself what I'm going to do, where I'm going to spend my time, what I'm going to invest in. And Christ is on the door saying, you're my child, let me in, let me lead your life, let me run your life, let me be your Lord, 
not you be your own Lord. But that's the, that's the age in which we live. Now, I say, I say that's true of most Christians today. I'm speaking predominantly for American Christians because, as we've said before, all this prosperity that we've enjoyed in America has made us spiritually weak. And it has made us carnal. It has made us really carnal Christians. So we're going to consider what the Bible says here in this passage. We'll get to it. Verses 1 and 2. Uh, well, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So letter of 1 Corinthians, penned by the Apostle Paul. We know the author is God himself. He's speaking to this church about things that they're dealing with. And he's saying to this church in chapter 3 of this letter, I couldn't speak unto you as though you were spiritual, because you're not very spiritual. I had to speak unto you as babes in Christ. I had to speak to you as almost as a natural man who couldn't understand the depths of God's word because they hadn't grown. They weren't maturing as Christians. They were still at a very basic entry-level Christianity, and because they hadn't grown, he's saying, and because not only had they not grown, grown, but they were not living very spiritual lives. They weren't living Christian lives. They were living for the flesh. And, you know, I think for Christians, when we are living spiritual lives, Brother, brother Jeff Faggart says this, and actually Brother Scott said it this week, and I've heard it countless times and said it many times, that if we want to be filled with the Spirit, if we want to be full of the Spirit, we have to be filled with the Word of God. And that if we want to be filled with the Word of God, we've got to be filled with the Spirit, and that's comparing Colossians and Ephesians. We need the two together. So, well, how do I get more filled with the Spirit? Well, when we got saved, we get all the Spirit we're going to get. But when we fill ourselves, when we fill our minds, when we fill our hearts with the Word of God, the Spirit has material to use to speak to us and to convict us of when we're tempted or when our flesh lusts after something. The Spirit has that material, the Word of God, which He reminds us of. He brings into remembrance. He, he brings it to our mind to convict us and to help us recognize this isn't something I should do. So we need the two. We need to be filled with both the Word of God. And as Christians, when we start becoming more carnal, what do we often neglect? The Word of God. Right. And as we neglect the Word of God, we continue to become more carnal. And we begin living in our flesh. So, and then as we, as we come to that point, even though we may know a lot of Scripture, I think we start forgetting. And we start losing. And we start, uh, and it's not so much that we're forgetting, but it's that we're not yielding to the Spirit. So He has less influence in our life. The Word has less influence in our life. And we are taking more and more control for ourselves. So, he couldn't speak to him as spiritual, but as carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I suspect that the reason he had to address that specifically and say that even as they were babes in Christ is because they had probably been saved for some time, many of these people. And they had grown, and they had gotten teaching, they had been discipled, they had learned a lot, but because of their carnality, it was as though they were babes in Christ. And even their understanding, he had to treat them like they were babes in Christ because they couldn't grasp the things because they, they weren't spiritual enough at this time. 
The first part of verse 2 says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. That's all they can handle, milk. When we're young Christians, we're able to grow, but only with milk, right? Which is for babies. Uh, you know, it's something that, <clears throat> don't raise your hand, because I don't need to know everybody, but as adults, a lot of people struggle with dairy. And, you know, scientifically, a lot of people believe that it's because our bodies aren't necessarily equipped to continue to consume dairy products, a lot of dairy products throughout our lives. So as we're adults, we don't really need milk. I know the doctors tell you, well, to make strong bones and all that stuff, you need milk. Well, there's other things that do that. Uh, but we don't need dairy. But when we're babies, that's all we can handle, right? That's all we need. So for us, we, I don't drink milk, but a lot of times drink milk, eat ice cream, uh, cream this, cream that, uh, what's the other, cheese, cheese, che I eat a lot of cheese, I love cheese, but cheese, 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 you know, it's like cheese on our burgers, cheese on our sandwiches, cheese on our pizza, uh, what's that, cheese on cheese, crackers and cheese, uh, meat and cheese, you know, we just need, we want cheese on everything, we milk, put cheese on our bread and make grilled cheese, I mean, it's just cheese on everything, so we do a lot of dairy, but we don't need all that dairy, we do need meat. Meat is good for our bodies, right? And that's what the Bible is talking about here. It's comparing those two, the difference between uh, uh, milk and meat. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes, that's what he just referred to them as, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So when we're young Christians, when we're new Christians, we need to eat milk so that we can grow. That's where that discipleship piece comes in, that, that early stage of learning and growing, of getting into our Bibles, of having some kind of plan and some kind of guidance so that we can learn some of the basic things of being a Christian. And then as we grow from the milk of the Word, we develop and we mature, and eventually we can digest the meat of the Word, the solid food of the Word. In verse 2 again, the second part says, For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. They weren't able to digest. They weren't able to comprehend. They weren't able to handle the meat of the word because they were too immature. They hadn't grown enough. And a lot of Christians either haven't grown to the point of handling the meat or have grown and in a sense backslidden or have, have gone backwards. And because of that, they're not very spiritual. They're more carnal. And it's tough to to comprehend spiritual things. How do we understand spiritual things? By comparing spiritual and spiritual. We just saw that at the end of chapter 2. Well, if we're not very spiritual, not very spirit-led, but we're carnal, it's hard to really comprehend spiritual things. It's hard to, to grasp them. In Hebrews chapter number 5, don't lose your place in 1 Corinthians, but in Hebrews chapter number 5, Verses 12 through 14. Now this is speaking to Israelites. Probably many of them, they knew the Old Testament well. The Jews typically did. Uh, were they or were they not saved? Probably not, and that was one of their issues. Uh, but again, I believe the Apostle Paul penned this book 
but as the apostle to the Gentiles. It never says that the apostle Paul penned this book. But in verse 12 through 15, he's speaking to these Hebrews, these Jews, and he says, For when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers. What's that mean? They had been hearing these things for a long time. They had been, they had been taught the Bible. They knew the Old Testament thoroughly. And they should have been mature enough at this point in time that they could have been teaching others. But he says, Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We have to grow to be able to understand and comprehend the Word of God. So that's both encouraging and discouraging at the same time. Because encouraging is, if we can't understand something, we understand that eventually we will as we grow and as we mature. The discouraging part is sometimes we read our Bibles and think, man, I ought to be able to understand, understand that by now. You know, that seems like it's not an extremely complicated piece, but we struggle to get it. We struggle to comprehend it. And, uh, but it takes time. It takes growth. It takes work and effort. On our Sunday afternoons, uh, we won't get to it today, but back on ne next week we'll get back into how to study the Bible. And next time will be the three applications of studying the Bible, and hopefully, prayerfully, it'll be a help to us. Um, but as we learn to study the Bible, it's, it takes work. It takes effort. Uh, what we've learned so far is, one, the theme of the Bible. I think that was our first lesson. And it's important that we understand the theme of the Bible, because if we don't understand the theme of the Bible, then we read it from the wrong purview, or from the wrong... Uh, we start at the wrong, we begin at the wrong starting line. There we go. We're reading it with the wrong vision. And a lot of times we like to make it all about us, but it's actually all about Christ and, on, and him on his throne. Um, it's not all about me and my salvation and all that stuff. That is a part of it, but that's not the primary focal point. We've talked about context, and we've talked about comparing Scripture with Scripture. All things that we need to do, but all things that take time and that take work for us to understand it. Um, you know, I think sometimes people assume, well, now I have the Holy Spirit in me. I'm just going to read something, and it's going to make sense because the Holy Spirit's going to show me. Well, it doesn't really work quite like that. He does speak to us about the things we read, and he does help us to understand them, but he helps us to understand them when we look at this and we look at that, and he helps to reveal God's truth to us through all of the scripture, not just one verse, and all of a sudden we know what that one verse means. All right, moving on. Verse 3. We better move on. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So how do we know that they're carnal? Well, first, they were called carnal by God at the pen of the Apostle Paul, but here's the reason why they're being called carnal. Because they're bickering over, uh, they're envying one another. There's strife and contention among them. They're, they're divided over these things. And the Apostle Paul says, Are ye not carnal and walk as men? What's he saying? You're carnal and you're walking as a natural man, not as a spiritual man. You're not living your life as someone who has been born again, as someone who's 
indwelt by the Holy Ghost as someone who's yielded and submitted and following what God wants us to do, you're walking as someone who doesn't know Christ and doesn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The evidence of their carnality came out in their actions, in their attitude, in the way in which they lived their lives. They were envying one another. They had a feeling of uneasiness at the superior condition and happiness of someone else. They were comparing themselves. Uh, well, how did they do that? Well, before we get there, first, Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication. You know, the very first time this word, actually the first three times, this word uh, carnal or carnality is used in the Bible. All of them are in Leviticus, and they deal with adultery and fornication. Just saying. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, remember that word, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we saw strife and envyings both on the list of the works of the flesh from Galatians 5. What did it say in verse 3? For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? They were producing the works of the flesh. That's what made them carnal. Their, their actions, what they were doing, their behavior was like that of someone who was bearing the works of the flesh, a lost person, as opposed to someone who had been born again. This is the opposite of what they should have been doing bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, to 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There is a law against the works of the flesh, but there is no law against the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, the Bible tells us we ought to be bearing the fruits of the Spirit. I lost my place here. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That was the issue. They, hadn't, they weren't living the crucified life. They were living the carnal life. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. It's brought up again. It's kind of a, I would say envying is, is an early step towards carnal living. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. You know, one of the, well, last week, it, well, I guess it was, well, I guess you'd call it last week or this week, whichever you prefer. But on, uh, let me think, I think it was Thursday night, I think it was, we learned about brotherly kindness from the seven pillars of spiritual growth out of 2 Peter 1. And that brotherly kindness is preferring our brother and sister in Christ above ourselves. But a lot of times what people think is, well, if I prefer them above myself, then I'm going to get the short end of the stick. But if they're preferring you above themselves, it's this circle of us just building each other up, of us helping each other out, of us loving one another. But so often we are worried about making sure we get what we deserve so we put ourselves first and we're trying to promote ourselves and we're trying to, uh, we're trying to elevate ourselves 
But the Bible says he must increase and I must, uh, no, he must, yeah, I must decrease and he must increase. There we go. Swap those. Don't want to do that. We want to exalt him. We want to raise him up and not ourselves. And we should promote others, our brothers and sisters. Why? Well, because we should want what's best for them. And if we humble ourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of, under the mighty hand of God, he shall lift you up. He'll lift us up. He'll promote us. All right. When we bear the fruit of the Spirit, when we're not desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another, it results in unity, a unified body. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Uh, that promotes unity, promotes a oneness. And when we have unity and we have that oneness, what's the result? Well, we can accomplish more for Christ. Because a group of people can do a whole lot more than one or two people can. And a group of people going in the same direction, working towards the same goals, with the same mind, with the same passion, which would be Christ in his word, living for him, boy, a lot can be accomplished then. So that's what we need to strive to be. Verse number four says this, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Is that something that happens today? Even in churches like ours. Well, I went to this Bible college. Well, I went to that Bible college. Well, I follow this big-name preacher. Well, I follow that big-name preacher. Why don't we focus more on following Christ and His Word than, than following somebody or some camp, if you will, or some school? Uh, you know, we... We should strive. Are there guys out there that are great, great men of God that God has used greatly? Absolutely. Is it wrong to say we listen to them or we learn something from them or we get? No. But we shouldn't fight or bicker or argue. Well, Paul led me to Christ. Well, Apollos led me to Christ. Well, I read Apollos' book. Well, I read Paul's book, and and I learned. And then fighting and bickering, and it's sad, but you know. Satan doesn't need to use any new tools or any new tricks because the ones he's been using for, for 6,000 years or whatever still work today. The same tools, the same tricks, the same, uh, the same things that he's always done still work. So he doesn't need to come up with anything new. Oh, maybe if he did, we'd really be in trouble. I don't know. Uh, verse number 5 says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave them to every man? Gave to every man. What's he saying? Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Now understand, this is by the pen of Paul. So through, Christ is saying through Paul, essentially, who am I? Who am I? Who's Paul? What do I really matter? Who is Apollos? We are simply ministers of Christ who preached to you and you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and got saved and became a Christian, that's all we are is a mouthpiece for the one that really matters. We're simply a mouthpiece for the one that you should really be focused on. You're not of a Paul. You're not of Apollos. If you're saved, you're of Jesus Christ. That's who you're of. Not me, not this person, not that person. You are his. You're not my child. You are a child of God. 
and you should be lifting him up. And if we focus on the fact we're all children of God, doesn't matter who we follow or who's leading us or who's guiding us, it ought to be the Holy Spirit, and we are all one in Christ. All right, verse 5. Did I already read verse 5? Nope. Yep. Yep, verse 6. Moving on. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. What's that saying? Verse 6. Where are we? I may have jumped the gun. On verse 5, it said, Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Every man who's ever trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, every person, man, woman, child, who's ever trusted Christ as their Savior, they learned about Christ because someone shared the gospel with them. Someone preached Jesus to them. Someone handed them a gospel tract or left a gospel tract or gave them a Bible or whatever it might be, prayed for them. It has been the result of someone sharing with them how they can know what Jesus Christ did for them. Romans 10, uh, you're welcome to turn if you'd like to. Romans 10, it's just back one book, but don't lose your place in 1 Corinthians there. Romans chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 14. <clears throat> and we'll read verse 15 as well. It says, How then shall they call on him, speaking of Christ, in whom they have not believed? Well, let me, let me just go up a couple verses. Verses 9 and 10, this is what it's referencing. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So how do we, how do we get saved? Well, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we've got to believe in our heart. And yes, there is a calling from the heart, from the mouth, that we want him to be our Savior, that we are, we are trusting in him. Well, how do we get to that point? How do, we, how do we get to the place of believing? Well, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach? I'm in the wrong, no, I'm in the right place. Except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's not just speaking about pastors, but anyone who would preach Jesus Christ to a lost soul. How do they hear except someone tells them? Unless someone preaches Jesus to them. That's the only way anyone ever learns about Christ. All right, verse 6 and verse 7. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase. What's he saying? Well, what I kind of said a couple minutes ago. Paul, Apollos, we are simply a mouthpiece. We are simply a vessel that is delivering a message. That's all we have the power to do, is give a message. It is God that saves, not me. Paul's saying, I, I don't save anybody. Apollos doesn't save anybody. God's the one that gives the increase. 
He's the one that works in the heart, that works in the, in the spirit of the man and draws him to himself. Over in John, if, if you want to flip there, you can, but over in John chapter number 6. Verse number 44, it says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No one's going to come to Christ except God, I believe through the Holy Spirit, draws them to him. The Holy Spirit's got to be working. He's got to be convicting. Roman, uh, no, John 16, if you turn over here, I'm going to read oh, 8, 9, 10 verses here. Verse number 4, we are almost done, I've only got six more pages, I'm just kidding, I don't really have six more pages of notes. John chapter number 16, verses 4 to 14 says this, But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whither, thou, whither goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Now just quickly here, what's taking place is Christ is about to leave the disciples. He's been with them for roughly three and a half years, pretty close to and he is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to go to heaven. He's going to ascend. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you, it's beneficial, it's better for you, it's going to, it's going to move you forward, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, notice the capital C, it's a proper name, it's one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter will, come, uh, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. They weren't ready for them. Howbeit when the Spirit, capital S, of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. He, well, we don't have time, but the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. How did he do it? According to Peter, as the Holy Spirit gave the word, they spoke it, they spake it. Sometimes I can quote the verse, but I'm drawing a blank right now, so just roll with it. You get, you've probably heard it before, many of you anyway. So. Uh, the Holy Spirit gave the word, and he comforts us, and he brings all things to remembrance, whatsoever Christ has said to us. I think that's John 14, I think that's John, or 15, John 15. Uh, he brings to remembrance whatsoever Christ has said to us. That's that, remember I told you, if we're spiritual and we're filled with the, Holy, with the word of God and the Holy Spirit, he can bring things to our remembrance. All right, how does someone get saved? Well, the Spirit works in them. He works in them as the message is given. The Holy Spirit is drawing that person, and they come to the place because they're convicted over their sin. They understand their need of a Savior, that they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Verse number 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, 
And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. What's that mean? Whether you're planting or watering, there's no difference in that equal. The person who plants, the person who waters, is not going to get a better reward than the other. You know, there's, what's he saying to them? Paul and Apollos, one's not better than the other. So your divisive conversations, your arguing, your bickering, your envying, because some of you were led to Christ by Paul, and some of you were led to Christ by Apollos, they're both men. They're, they're no different than one another. So it doesn't matter who you follow after, follow after Christ. That's what matters. Follow after Christ. Don't worry about what man you follow. Follow after Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. I love that verse. That's the testimony of the Apostle Paul, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, as we just talked about. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me, which was with me. So Paul's saying, I labored more abundantly than, than all, than they all. But he's saying it wasn't really me. It was the grace of God with me. It was by God's grace that that happened. It wasn't because I'm someone special. It's because God is great. It's not because I'm the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. Is he great? Yeah, absolutely. God used him mightily. Probably the greatest Christian that's ever lived. Yet he was still humble. Verse 9, our last verse in this passage. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So, we are laborers together with one another and with God. God doesn't want to send us out and we just go and work and do everything he wants us to do on our own, but he wants to work in us. He wants to work with us and accomplish his will through us. If we try and do anything without him, we'll be unsuccessful. We may be able to give the appearance of success. We might be able to build a big business, a big building, a big crowd, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God is in it. That's not necessarily evidence of success. Well, God is blessing. All these things are going well. Well, is God really blessing? How faithful are we being to him? How true to his word? How is our personal walk with God? Well, none of those things are going very well, but bless God, the ends justify the means. Show me that in the Word of God. Can't find it, because the ends don't justify the means. That's true in all of life. All the ends justify the means do is get us in trouble. <laughs> you know, that's all they do. Oh, I got my mortgage paid off. You did? Really? Wow, how'd you get the money? Well, I robbed a bank. Was that really good? <laughs> Was that really good? I mean, well, the result is my mortgage is paid off. Yeah, but what do you have to do to accomplish that? Well, we've got a huge crowd at church. Wonderful. God's blessing? Yeah. How'd you get them there? Well, we, yeah, we compromised. We threw out the Bible. We threw out good music, Bible, Christian music, godly music, I should say. We made all these changes in order to do it. But we got a big crowd at church. Well, that's nice. 
But is God really pleased with that? He doesn't want us just to see a big crowd. He wants a big crowd of people who are saved, truly saved, and who are striving to grow in their relationship and their walk with him and are truly in love with him and his word. Not through emotionalism, but through the truth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though... God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. My brother sent me this quote this morning. I thought it was really good. Kind of goes along with that verse. It says, The negotiation of peace between God and man could only have its origin in God himself. Kind of that John 6, 44. No man cometh unto me except the Father, draw them. Well, no one can be saved. No one could be saved if God did not provide a way for us to be saved. Without God doing that work, there is no hope for man. We're hopeless. The negotiation of peace between God and man could only have its origin in God himself. No created mind, human or angelic, would ever have conceived the thought of a reconciliation between the offended creator and the offending creatures. To a creature's eye, the breach appears too great ever to be repaired, and the gulf too wide ever to be passed. And it's true, it is from our side of things. But because God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, he provided a way. That goes right along with 1 John chapter 1, where it says he is our propitiation. He's the only acceptable substitute. There is no other way but through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Last passage we'll look at, 1 Corinthians. Turn back to chapter 15. What, what is this? What is it that Christ did for us? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. This testimony of the Apostle Paul through the pen, through his hand, but the author is God. So he is speaking about Paul through his pen. But it is from God. So God's telling us these things. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. The Apostle Paul was not telling anyone anything that he had not received himself. He wasn't telling people about Jesus Christ without himself having believed first. He believed through his faith, because of his faith, he wanted to tell others. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ. He died according to the scriptures. It had been recorded at this point. And that he was buried. They put him in the earth. And that he rose again the third day. He is alive again according to the scriptures. That's the simple gospel. Christ came. He died. 
rose again, was buried rather, rose again, according to the scriptures. Why did he do all that? To pay the price for your sins and my sins. Because we had a debt, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We had a debt to pay. That's what wage is. I go to work and I earn a wage, a payment for the labor that I did. Well, when it comes to God, the only labor that I did before I was saved was sin. And the wages were more of a consequence, I guess you would say. But thankfully, Christ saw our need. And he wanted to restore mankind to a right relationship with him. And in order to do that, he came. He lived. He died, was buried, and rose again. Why? To pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And by placing our faith and trust in him, we can have eternal life. Now, what about Christians? What do we do with that? Well, because of what Christ has done for us, because we have nothing apart from him, we should live for him with all that we have. We should give him everything we are. Everything we have should be his. And we should desire to tell others about what he did for us. And you know, it all starts with us out of a sincere heart and love for him, spending the time to have a real relationship with him, a sincere walk with him. You know, Christians can be saved and yet live carnal lives. But because of what he's done for us, we ought to love him and throw our carnality out the window. We should put it down and we should live for him. All right, I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer. We'll have a moment of invitation, and we'll dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these, for the scripture that we've seen, and I pray, Father, that you would use it to speak to our hearts. I pray we would recognize the areas in our lives where we are carnal. Elijah preached at family camp there Friday morning, and he spoke about the different levels in our house and how a lot of times Christians, we as Christians, we give God the downstairs, the stuff that people see, the stuff that we're willing to show, but we reserve a level for ourselves. Sometimes when nobody's looking, when we think, maybe, that we're hiding from God, we start living in the upstairs. But God, we really ought to give you all of ourselves. You know, sometimes we have the, the area where we live that we keep a mess. We don't keep it clean. We don't keep it organized. That's just how life is sometimes. But when it comes to our spiritual house, it should all be clean for you. It should all be owned, indwelt, and available to you. Lord, I pray that we would hold nothing, we would reserve nothing for ourselves and apart from you. Lord, I pray we would give you all of our lives, all of ourselves. our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Is there anyone here this morning that would just slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I know that I'm not saved. 
I know that someday I'm not going to spend eternity in heaven. But I would like to know. I'd like to get it settled. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? about Christians? Maybe there's someone here today. You don't need to raise your hand. But maybe God beat you up a little bit and you recognize I have some carnality that I'm dealing with, that I'm battling. I've been envying. I've had strife in relationships with my Christian brothers and sisters. I'm not preferring them before myself. It's hindering me being right with God because of this, this carnality. And as a result, I'm not living faithfully for God. I'm not doing the things that I ought to be doing that I know will please Him that will honor and glorify him. I pray that we could put the old man down and live our lives as the new creature Christ saved us to be. As the piano plays, we'll just take a couple minutes, give folks time to pray, and then I'll close us out here in a minute. done praying, turn in your hymn book to hymn number 81. If you're not done, take your time. I'm not trying to rush anyone. Hymn number 81. We'll just sing one verse. Let's stand together. We'll sing verse number one and then I'll close us in a word of prayer. Okay. 
I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith, and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for each person who's here. And Lord, I pray that uh, your word has fallen on good ground. I heard it once said that if we've ever in our life been closer to you than we are right now, then we're backslidden. Lord, I pray we could look at our life and say that we are the closest we've ever been. But Lord, there's a pretty strong possibility that some, most, maybe all that are here couldn't say that we are closer than we've ever been. Lord, I pray you'd help us to grow closer to you. Father, I just pray you bless our day, bless the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship.